0: Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. We're talking today about the proof of life. The proof of life. Proof that Jesus is alive. And we're going to talk about the scriptures. We're going to talk about what the Bible tells us that proves to us that he's alive. But for me personally, you know, there's that old song that says, You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. It's, it's not, I mean, we're going to study this today. We're going to see other people's testimonies of how they know he's alive. What's the proof of life? But for me personally, it's those moments when I'm sitting at my piano and I sing out, the king is in the room and I feel him. And I know that the only reason I can get through today is because he's there. And realizing that this past year, you know, we, we, you just, you know, you should look back and you should see the places that God has carried you and whatever, but it's been an intense season for most of us. It's been, it's been times of stress. It's been times of pain. It's been times of loss. I've done and been to more funerals this year than I've been to in the previous 15 put together. How do you walk through stuff like that? The king is in the room. I have walked with people who have lost jobs and lost relationships and lost hope. And the answer is the king is in the room. Because I've also seen people that have come out of darkness, loss, brokenness, abandonment, pain, anguish, suffering, grief, and they have been transformed because the king is in the room. And so this morning, I feel like God wants to remind us, this is what we've been through together. And he wants to present to us, this is what we can be through together. This is the walk that we have. The proof of life actually ends up being in us. We are the proof that Jesus rose from the dead. Bizarre, right? We're the walking, talking proof, but we want to find out what the Bible says about it. We want to line that up with not just that, that sounds really good. It's, it's not just what the preacher says, it's what the word of God says, and it's what we are meant to experience. And so walking through this, I was, I was thinking this week, um, there was a lady that I was talking to, um, just a few weeks ago, actually, who's a new believer. And she was telling me, she said, you know, prior to this recent season, she said, I I grew up in a family that didn't know God at all. Like, at all. She's like, I never, ever, ever heard of Jesus. And uh, she said, weirdly enough, my mom set out a nativity scene every Christmas, but we just thought it was one of the Christmas decorations. Like, we didn't know, didn't know what it meant. And so she had never known Jesus at all, and she said she fully, 100% believed we've evolved from monkeys, and that nothing happens when you die except you decompose. And she said, from that place nothing matters. Life doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you make good choices or bad choices. It doesn't matter. But then she said, but then I met Jesus and everything changed. And as she's telling the story, her face just lit up and she starts talking about like, this is what I experienced and this is what I've been set free from. And this is how he's changed my life. And this is how he talks to me. And she's just like going, there's like life and life abundantly like Jesus promised because she's at a personal encounter with the living God. She didn't bump into a belief system, she bumped into Jesus, right? She found the living God. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 says, "'So when this corruptible has put on incorruption,' talking about Jesus, and this mortal has put on immortality, "'then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, "'Death is swallowed up in victory. "'Oh, death, where is your sting?' Oh Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And when you think about this, is, see, these are the, the scripture verses that we talk about on an Easter Sunday. Praise be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, if we really could lay hold of it, we would be bouncing off the roof right now with that declaration. Praise be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. The reality is, these things are applied through personal encounter. And so, when we talk about it, this this whole death has been swallowed up in in life, in victory. What does that even mean? Where, oh, death, is your victory? Where's your sting? Anybody who's been through loss this year is like, no, it stings plenty. There's there's lots of pain attached to that. What does it mean? It means that there is hope for life beyond the grave. It means that when we say goodbye on this side, we know there's something on the other side. It means that even in the midst of loss and grief, the presence of God is with us and the same terror is not there. And so when we talk about how do we see the proof of life, how do we see the proof that God exists, the proof that he's real, the proof that Jesus rose from the dead, it happens one by one as we encounter God. And the interesting thing is most of us do not encounter God because we're having the best time ever. Truly. The cry that comes out of us happens when somebody's been diagnosed with something, when we've had an accident, when we're scared, when anxiety is, is overwhelming us, when there's pain on every front, when we've lost our job, when we don't know where to go, when we feel abandoned, we feel lost, we feel alone, we cry out for God. And we hope that there's somebody answering that cry. I, I've got um, you know, pre, pre-believer friends you know, on Facebook and stuff. And I'll see every once in a while, I'll see somebody post something. And I'm sure you guys do too. If there's anybody out there who believes in God, could you pray for me? Which means I really hope there's something there, but I don't know for sure. And I think that you do. So could you please? And I always answer those ones. I will always answer and say, I'm praying right now. What's going on? And and respond as quick as possible. But there's something in us in crisis that needs to know that God is there. And that is just so like God. He waits for us to hit the end of ourselves. And he's right there waiting for us. So some of the times that we most experience God, and we most see that that sting and that pain gets alleviated, is in the presence of meeting him in sorrow. So for some of us, this has been a really rough season. But it's been one of the richest sweetest times with the lord it's been in the midst of pain i find him i see him i encounter him i feel him it's those moments when i feel alone and i'm weeping and i just think nobody's gonna understand this and he totally does and you feel his presence so we want to walk into that a little bit today this idea of when i'm needing him he is there when i'm in pain he is there when i'm searching he is there. And there's a great differentiation between Christianity and our faith in Christ and the other religions of the world for this very reason. It's not just the he was there, it's the he is here. Yeah. Big difference. When you look at the, uh, the setup of the, the, the breakdown of religions, you see usually somebody who's got, you know, a leader, a founder, who's got this incredible charismatic personality, or they've had this, like, in, intriguing encounter with some form of spirituality. They've had some sort of epiphany. There's something that draws us to them. There's something that awakens attention of others because we see something that we, we all desperately need. And, and I think it's interesting when we break it down, even within Christianity, do we know why we're different? Do we know what makes Jesus different than everybody else? And so, um, you know, I was even Googling because it turns out there's always like these parallel holidays. And so I'm like, it's Easter weekend. And people are talking, no, it's Ramadan. <coughs> no, it's Easter weekend. No, it's Ramadan. It's Easter weekend. Also turns out it's Ramadan. <laughs> so if you Google this, and, and what I, what I want to know is, what is Ramadan then? What is it that is being celebrated by Muslims around the world? What is is happening on this holiday? And you look for the highlights. What's the reason? If we say, this is Easter Sunday, it's a sacred day, people should be off work, people should be celebrating it, why? Can we give an answer for it? Do we know why this matters to us? Do we know the value of it? So we want to look back and we want to compare just a little bit. And so if you do, you find out that it, like for instance, in Buddhism... Buddha, the founder of Buddhism, died in 483 BC at the age of 80 years old. Muhammad, founder of Islam, died in 632 AD at the age of 62. Guru Nanak, founder of the Sikh faith, died in 1539 at the age of 70. Jesus of Nazareth died during Passover in 33 AD at the age of 33, and then he came back. Yep, kind of looks different even when you just Google it. There's, there's something to be said for that. There was proof of life. There was something that changed. There was something that shifted. We need to know what that something is and why it matters to us. We need to know why Jesus is different. All, all the religions of the world really believe that Jesus existed, that he was a good man, that he was a prophet, he was sent by God, that he died they just don't all believe that he was God, that he rose again, that he lives still, that he lives in us and with us. First Corinthians 15 breaks it down really well if you read the whole chapter, but verse 14 to 17, it says, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. That means the same thing for all the faiths of the world. If the leader, the founder, is not of God and is not living, then your preaching and our faith is empty. There's nothing to it. There's nothing to stand on. But if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Verse 15. Yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 15, calling. If in fact the dead do not rise... For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then here we go. Then your faith is futile. If we don't get what today is about, nothing else matters. Isn't that sobering? If Jesus didn't really rise, none of this matters. Your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Isn't that something? If this is all there is, if we're just looking for something that's going to help us have a better quality of life here, we should be pitied. That's what it actually says. If it's not about we have tapped into an eternal life, an eternal perspective, if we don't understand that the living God makes the futility and the, 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 the ending time of this life fall into place, then we're just to be pitied. We're doing stuff that doesn't make any sense, but it's not the case. And so we have to lay hold of our risen God. And I believe it's one of the things that, you know, as the Lord is walking us through these intense times, humanity right now is going through suffering, shaking. There's this like, the, the word talks about this, that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. So that what is of God will remain. There's, there's a shaking that's going on right now and you can't avoid it. It's everywhere. It's it's globally you know it's the stuff it's your finances it's health stuff it's um it's global politics it's wars it's rumors of wars it's you know natural disasters it's all this stuff is going on the shakings going on and we should have an answer for the hope that's within us it can't be just about right here it's got to be about the eternal and it's got to be about the fact that the eternal reaches here and affects us now It's this cool, cool thing. The concept of how do we know the proof of God, the proof of life. I want to challenge you this morning. You know, sometimes we feel bad when we don't have the right feelings to attach to a title or to a holiday or to a whatever. We don't have the right feelings to go with it. Anybody who's got a little bit of life experience knows the best moments don't always happen on the planned days on the calendar, right? Right? I, I have trained myself at this point that there's these moments and you can feel it when something's happening and you're having a conversation with somebody or you see kids doing something or you, you just have a feeling in your heart that is like, it's like glorious. And it just, it'll happen at weird times. It'll happen at the ice cream shop. It'll happen, you know, I mean, it happens a lot at the ice cream shop, but it happens not necessarily on the days that you plan for them it's it's like you know wedding days or anniversaries or you know big birthday parties or whatever sometimes we put so much effort into making a moment that we don't realize the moments like when you're out having a walk together and you have that moment of conversation that just changes your heart like it's it's beautiful and you have to pause in these moments I feel like that with this concept of the resurrection. Sometimes we're like, it's Easter Sunday. We as Christians should be super exuberant today. And we should, but it's all the little moments in between. It's the times when you felt like you were at the end of your rope and you cried out like, God, I need you. It's the time you sat in the doctor's office and you got the report about, this is what you're facing right now. And you said on the inside, but God, it's a time when you had the conversation with somebody and you were like, I, I don't think anything's ever going to repair this relationship. And God says to you on the inside, but I know your heart. I, I know who you are. I know I, I got this. It's those times when you're, you're driving, you know, we, we've had personally, we've had so many vehicle accidents and, and near misses that should have been fatal that we walked away from. And those moments of the living Christ were simply us crying out, Jesus, the moment before we hit something or something hit us. That's the risen Christ right here, right now. It's the presence of God in those moments. It's walking people through the grief. It's walking people through big decisions and knowing that the wisdom of God is available. When we ask, he shows us great and mighty things that we didn't know. How does that happen? It's because he lives. We actually get to walk life with God. And so there's some people in the beginning that we see this in the word. We see the track record of Jesus. They were actually physical eyewitnesses. They actually saw that Jesus lived. I don't want to put the two pieces together because it's very important that we know what the word says. This is the documented facts This is what actually happened. And if we were looking at a court case, we would know this proof of life. The fact that there was one witness could be a delusion. Two witnesses, it could be some confusion. Three witnesses, it could be some sort of a scheme. There were hundreds of witnesses at different times, in different ways, in different places that saw and encountered the risen Lord. That is proof of life. That matters. What also matters, though, is that you feel him on the inside. You are walking, talking, proof of life. So let's walk this through just a little bit. 1 Corinthians 15, again, the whole chapter is just going to illuminate you, so if you spend some time studying on it. But starting at verse 5 to 8, it says that he was seen by Cephas, or Peter, then by the twelve, After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remained to the present. So this is Paul writing. He's like some of the people who saw him at the time of this writing, they're still here and they can tell you what they saw. This is incredible. They are still here to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as as by one born out of due time. So he's saying you need to understand when Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, there's a group of people that are saying, I don't, you know, maybe there is no resurrection from the dead. Maybe this life is all we've got. This passage, Paul's saying, and if that's the case, we got nothing. We got nothing. We might as well live a different way, but it's not the case. And here's the proof. Here are the people who saw him in the flesh this is the walking talking encounter now again paul is having still his uh he's been yet to be um released on women so he was seen by peter and then by the 12 uh he forgot that he was seen first by mary um but that's okay because she's recorded in the gospels and we see what god did in her and through her and um, so we're going to start there we're going to look at these eyewitness accounts and we're going to talk about the, the kind of situations that Jesus engages where he reveals himself as risen where he reveals himself as God where he shows up and he lets people actually see him In the flesh, we get to experience him here and now. And let me just give you a hint before we get into it. It is not just in the most celebratory fireworks, firepots, colorful lights, exuberant Easter services. It's exactly how most of us meet him. In the mess. That's where he encountered them. That's where he showed up exactly where they were exactly in their daily lives, in the moments that they were walking through. And so Mary Magdalene is the first one. She is a person in distress. And people in distress are people who often will encounter God, the risen Lord. Now, Mary has had this incredible relationship with Jesus we know that she met him in incredible bondage she was broken she was damaged Jesus loved her back to life brought her into a place of relationship and and she became somebody who was with him in in like all the stories she's there she's experiencing Jesus firsthand she was a mess she was dead but he brought her to life It was really like this incredible encounter that she had with him. And so she's with him um, at the cross. We see that she's the one of the ones, the few that stuck around. I think it's very interesting that most of the disciples took off. But she stood there and she watched him suffer and she watched him fight for every breath And she watched him cry out, it is finished. And she watched him pour blood down the cross. She watched him breathe his last. She felt the ground shake. She saw the one who had given her fullness of life die. And she stayed until they let him, let them take him off the cross. She went with his body to the tomb and she made sure that he was taken care of. And she saw them roll the stone in front of the grave. She wasn't deluded that he wasn't dead. She knew he was dead. She saw it. And then she woke up and she, she cared enough to at least, I don't know how else to worship, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring spices and I'm gonna take care of his body. I, I need to do something. I'm, I don't know what else to do. I just need to somehow honor Jesus. And she goes with the other women, says, and they found the stone rolled away. And they found that there were angels there speaking that Jesus had risen from the dead. This, this is what she encounters. His body is gone. She's brought these spices. She's trying to worship. She's being told. She's having this supernatural encounter. And, and, but he's gone. And she's in distress. And then it says in Mark 16... Verse 9 and 10, it says, He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. And she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. He appeared first to her. She, I just, I just... I just need Jesus. I don't know what else to do. My life before him was a disaster. My life with him completely changed. I don't really know what to do right now. I can feel the agony in her heart. And I can feel many of us in this past season. We've had a similar sensation. Maybe not directed towards Jesus. But just that agony of I don't really know what to do right now. There's there's been loss. There's been struggle. I feel Like I'm here alone and people are telling me that something has happened. I can't really locate it in my own mind. I don't know what to do. Jesus appears in situations like that. He looks for opportunities to show up in situations like that. John chapter 20, verse 14 to 16, it says that she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there and she didn't know that it was Jesus. Her distress was kind of overwhelming her. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And whom are you seeking? And she supposed him to be the gardener and said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. She's so in distress that she can't even see him right there. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned has said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. I find it so interesting that in the midst of her distress, she, she can't even see him. Some of us have been in those places. We've been in those places where we are so distressed in heart that if somebody was to say, Jesus is there with you, you're like, great. I need an answer. I. But here's the beauty of Jesus. He doesn't have to bring her giant theology. He doesn't like quote scripture at her. He calls her by name. And there are some of us, this is what we should be celebrating today. There's some of us that we found ourselves in so much distress in this past year that we didn't know which way was up. And in that moment of pain, we could hear that personal call of Jesus. And it might not be something that we could even hardly express to anybody else, but he was there and he knew you. And there was a sense, and there is a sense that he, he knows you. He, he doesn't, you don't need to say a thing. He knows you. And I I think about that. And to me personally, I relate to this so well. I, I feel like there's times when it's been overwhelming. Life has been overwhelming And I'm sitting there, and just to be very honest, some of you dads feel this way, some of you moms feel this way, some of you business owners feel this way, but you're like, the world is gone to bits, and I'm supposed to be in charge of whatever my sphere is. And I don't know what to do right now. And Jesus just came and he said, Mary, in that moment do you know that the gift of the empty tomb and the risen lord is that we get to know him personally that we don't just sign up for a religion we don't just sign up for some belief system but we know and are known by god distress is not a bad place to be if that's where you meet jesus John 10.3 says he calls out his own by name and he leads them out by name. The second group that he encountered was those in disappointment. Anybody had any disappointments this year? Wrong church. Okay. (laughs) Disappointment has been everywhere. And there's these two guys that we read about. They don't uh, share their names with us. But the two guys on the road to Emmaus. And this is after the crucifixion. This is after Jesus has been put in the tomb. And they they don't know what else to do. They've been following Jesus. um, He's dead. So. I guess we'll go home. So they start walking. And they, they turn and they go home. And Jesus shows up. And Jesus begins walking with them. And he says to them. Why are you. Why are you so sad? What are you talking about amongst yourselves? What's, what's going on with you? They don't recognize them. The Bible tells us that their eyes have been blinded. They don't, they don't see. They're not blinded because God blinded them. They're blinded because they've got disappointment. They're blinded because they've got their own stuff going on. And so Jesus actually shows up, Mark 16, 12 to 13. It says, after that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest. They did not believe them either. So this was the right after this beginning time, after he had seen Mary, um, talked to Mary. Luke 24 gives us the full picture of it. So this, we want to match the timelines with the storyline. Mark and Luke are the two places that match it up. Jesus asked them, what's, what's going on? Why do you seem so sad? Luke 24, 21 says, well, This was Jesus. There's all this stuff going on. This is what has happened. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed besides all this today is the third day since these things happened. Um, We were hoping. We kind of thought this is what God was going to do. We kind of thought this is what we were waiting for. We kind of thought this is how God was going to act but it didn't. And so now they're so disappointed, they're just walking home and obviously their body language is just overwhelming and they can't even recognize Jesus. They're so caught in their own disappointment. Verse 25 of Luke 24 says, he said to them, oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. He's like, man, you know, you're not catching a clue here. You don't understand what's really going on. Jesus spent the rest of the way walking with them. And it says that he talked to them the whole rest of the trip. It was actually like seven miles that they walked. So that's, that's a chunk of time. And they walked and he explained to them the Psalms and the prophets. And he preached at them all day. And they didn't get it. Which makes me feel better as a preacher. Because even Jesus hit a tough crowd from time to time he walks with them all day, talks with them all day. They get to the point where they're supposed to turn off to Emmaus, and Jesus says he's going to go on a little further, and they ask him, why don't you come with us and spend the night with us? Have supper with us. We want to keep hearing what you have to say. So it's interesting in verse 30 and 32, it says that now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight, tricky. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? They had this duh moment where they're like, man, we were feeling that six miles back. Like what on earth? we knew, didn't our hearts burn within us? And Jesus is saying, you are slow to believe. Like what's, what is the matter with you? You're slow to believe. Here's the thing. Disappointment can block us from believing that God is who he says he is and that he is present. Disappointment, our own expectations, we thought it was going to go this way. We thought God would work this way. We thought this was the plan, and it took a turn. And when that happens, it can blind us to the very presence of Jesus in our right now moments. We can actually have a difficult, Jesus can be right there talking to us, and we can't see him, sense him, feel him, hear him, because we are stuck on our disappointment. It wasn't until Jesus sat with the bread and he broke it, He sat to eat with them. He sat to commune with them. And all of a sudden, their eyes were opened. I believe prophetically, that is an indicator of that place that we need to come to. Jesus is the daily bread. He is the bread of life. He is the one who prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. He's the one who says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in and eat with him. Right? Talking to Christians, not non-Christians, by the way. And so when Jesus came in and he began to break bread with them, it's the same thing as when we will get over our own disappointment, our own wrong expectations, our own God's supposed to do it this way. And we actually sit and we commune with him. And we sit at the table of fellowship with the Lord and we let him talk to us. And most of us in those moments when we actually get out of ourselves We get over our own heads and we sit and we actually listen. We'll be like, oh, didn't our hearts burn with us back there somewhere? Yeah. I actually felt God was saying something back there. I I actually felt there was some leading from the Lord back there. I didn't want to hear it, though. I wanted this job. I wanted this location. I wanted this family. I wanted this breakthrough. I wanted I have talked to Christians who have bought raffle tickets and been totally upset with God because they prayed over it and they didn't win. Yeah, I'm not even kidding. <laughs> if you're already moving into the dream house in your mind, you need to pause. We need to walk daily with Jesus. Sometimes we put these expectations, our packaging on God. Sometimes we thought something was going to happen. We thought that person should get out of that wheelchair right then. We thought there should be a breakthrough in that area right then. And it didn't happen the way we wanted it to happen. There's something that we know about God. He is only good. And his plans for us are only good. That his thoughts towards us are only good only good, to give us a hope and a future and an expected end. And so if disappointment has blocked our ability to feel and sense and see Jesus, we need to stop right now and pause at the table and fellowship with him and say, okay, I'm going to stop talking. You, you tell me how it goes then. And I think we'll find out, didn't our hearts burn within us? We kind of had a sense that this is the way something was supposed to be. We just didn't like it. So they had this encounter, he broke the bread, and their eyes were opened, and they knew him. The next group of people were the ones who were in doubt, and so they're the ones that we we read about right at the beginning of the last portion, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country, and they went and told the rest, but they did not believe them, that's these guys, the ones in doubt, And sometimes doubt happens, and doubt will often happen because of, according to this scripture, stress and fear. Doubt will often happen because of stress and fear. I don't know what's going to happen. I am afraid about what might happen. I am pressed on all sides. There is a stress and there's a fear that tries to manifest, and it produces doubt, Luke twenty four thirty six to 38. Here's prior to this, um, 34, 35, the disciples are sitting together and it says that they were terrified because of what was going on in the city. They were scared of the other Jews that were, the, the upset that was going on in Jerusalem. They were all together in one place in the house. What are we gonna do now? Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself, verse 36 stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace be to you. He spoke peace over the stress. He spoke peace over the fear. Some of us, we've been so caught up in this stress, fear, stress, fear. Psychologists and counselors right now will tell us that our society has been in fear mode for so long right now. Most of us are kind of parked there internally and it is exceptionally difficult to move past it. We have to consciously decide to file the fear. We have to consciously, because it's, it's kind of everywhere. And so Jesus spoke peace to that place of fear. He said, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened. And supposed that they had seen a spirit or a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? Jesus was right there with them. And they're like, nah, it's a ghost. Can't be God because we're afraid. Can't be God because we're doubting. Can't be Jesus. Let me tell you, if there's been fear this year, if there's been doubts these years, this year, or these years, Jesus is still right there. He is still right there. And he is speaking peace over us. Mark 16, 14, later he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the tables talking about the same thing, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He rebuked them, and he said there's unbelief and hardness of heart. Some of us, if we're struggling even to celebrate the risen Lord, what does it mean to you that Christ is alive? It means that Christ is with me always. Okay, what does that mean to you? Well, I don't know. I'm struggling with doubt right now. Struggling with unbelief. I'm struggling with hardness of heart. It comes to a point where we have to decide, even though this has been my reality, I am choosing to believe. I am choosing as an act of faith to believe. John 20 27 is the same story Jesus is with the disciples, and Thomas gets called in because Thomas is like, I can't even deal with this. And Jesus says to Thomas, Reach your fingers in here, look at my hands and reach out your hand and put it in the side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. What I see here is the reach your finger here. Look at my hands, reach your hand, put it in my side. The onus is on us. I'm in doubt, I'm in unbelief, I can feel my heart hardening. My job right now is even in that place to decide to reach out to decide to encounter, to decide to pursue. It might feel fake for a little minute, but this is where the healing comes. Jesus is right there waiting for us to step into that. Hmm. Luke 24, 41 in the New Living Translation talks about this. They they finally catch a clue. They realize that Jesus has had this, uh, he's actually shown up and he's in their midst. They decided he's not actually a ghost, but it says that they stood there still in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? It's interesting because in the midst of their disbelief, even Jesus is like, you know what? We, we gotta, we gotta have a meal together. I know it's been a struggle, but let's have a meal together. We have to pursue the relationship. We have to sit with Jesus. The fourth group that we see Jesus reveal himself to is those in disgust. Those in disgust. And the disgust that they feel is not about Jesus. It's about themselves. I can't believe who I am and what I've done. And this is the story of those uh, who went fishing. It actually talks about in the in John we see the chronological order it says that after all these things happened Peter decides to go fishing James and John go with him some of the guys go along and it's like well we've actually seen Jesus rise from the dead we know that he's done what he said he would do we know he actually is God and what am i going to do about it i'm going fishing weird response, right? A little bit. I feel like a little bit. Unless you factor in shame. Unless you factor in shame. Because Peter was like, I'm the guy. I will fight with you to the end. I'm going to die with you if I have to die with you. I am with you all the way. Jesus is like, no, you're you're not. You're actually going to deny me. No, I would never do that. I am your guy. I am with you. I am a solid believer in Jesus. I am the one who is standing with you no matter what. Until things start happening. Until the soldiers show up. Until Jesus is arrested. Until the accusations start flying. And Peter's like, no, I'm not with him at all. And you can almost feel him go through it because... I mean, if it was me, I would probably be like, no, I don't know him. And then I'd hear the words of Jesus. Okay, I'm, I'm, my bad. Sorry. I'm gonna, I won't, won't ever do that again. Never going to say that again. And somebody looking very intimidating comes up and says, no, I'm pretty sure you are with him. No, I'm not. Back off. Oh, I can't believe I just said that. It's twice. Okay, Jesus said it was going to be three times. It's only twice. I'm never going to do that again. I'm just going to go warm myself by the fire. Keep, keep. Keep myself to myself. I'm not going to say anything or do anything. Servant girl comes out and she's like, no, I am very sure. This is one of the ones that was with Jesus. He starts cussing and swearing and says, no, I, am not, I have nothing to do with this man. And the rooster crows and he can hear in his mind the words of Jesus saying, you're, you're going you're to fall. You're going to betray me. And Shame takes a little seat on the inside of him and he's like, wow, I suck. I can't believe I did that. But and because Peter was a strong-willed person, I believe he probably actually had to wrestle. And those three days, Jesus died. He was in the tomb. They were waiting. I bet Peter wrestled in his mind. Well, maybe. Maybe it wasn't true anyway. Maybe it didn't happen. Maybe, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know where I'm going to land on this thing. I don't know what to do from here, but I mean, maybe, maybe I'm going to die. Maybe, I mean, I've, I'm supposed to like lead the group and I don't know where I'm going or what I'm doing. And I'm obviously incapable. The 11 are gathered together. Mary Magdalene and the women come back and say the tomb is empty. She says that she saw Jesus personally. They don't uh, uh, believe her. The two guys who were on the road to Emmaus show up and they say, we just walked and talked with him and had supper with him. They don't believe him. The 11 are sitting there. Jesus shows up and he's like, "Uh, why don't you believe? What's the problem here? They think he's a ghost. They're They're having these moments and Peter's wrestling it through in his mind. Okay, everything that he said he was gonna do, he did, which means he's exactly who he said he was which means I failed so bad. I made such an epic mess of things. He will be better off without me in his camp. Nobody needs me around. You know, with friends like me, nobody needs enemies. Um, I'm that guy. I'm just gonna let Jesus keep appearing to people and doing what Jesus does, and I'm going to go back to something I think I'm semi-good at. I'm gonna do what I know to do, go fishing. I love this because most of us at some point in our lives find ourselves in this state where we look in the mirror and we're like, you are an idiot. You know, like, what were you thinking? How did you get yourself in this mess? And instinctively, we tend to run away from Jesus in those moments. We tend to be like, I'm going to go the furthest af- away I can get because I am, I am an embarrassment to myself, let alone the people around me. Certainly don't want to be attached to the Christian name. Everybody already thinks that Christians are hypocrites. <laughs> you know what? Christians are all messed up. That's the truth. We're all flawed people who have a perfect God who loves us completely and sees us in our messes and shows up. And so this is what it says, John 21 Verse 4 to 7, but when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. They couldn't see him because of their own disgust. And then Jesus said to them, children, do you have any food? Seems to be an obsession here. (laughs) They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, the disciple that Jesus loved, who is John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And from that point on, as soon as Peter realizes, Jesus actually came to get me. He knows exactly what I did. He told me ahead of time what I was going to do. And he actually came to get me. And he jumps out of the boat. It says he put on his outer coat. In other words, he wasn't going back right? He didn't leave his stuff in the boat. He stepped out of the boat with his stuff and it was like, there is no turning back. Now, some of us have been so embarrassed by what we have done and how we have lived life that we have tried to keep it to ourselves. Jesus comes and finds us in that state and just says, you know what? This is what it means that he is who has been forgiven much, loves much. Grab your coat, grab your stuff, you're never going back there again. Come on, let's go. This is what it means that Jesus is alive. It means that he shows up in those places of our own self disgust. And he manifests himself in a way that we can do nothing but say yes. And so Jesus comes and he knows you're going to have to walk through this, you're going to have to choose to leave that behind. You're going to have to choose to leave your mistakes behind. You're going to have to choose to leave your brokenness behind. You're going to have to choose to leave your flaws behind. So I'm going to help you do that. Okay, Peter, look at me. We're going to walk through this. John 21, 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Or in other words, your calling still stands. Why? Because Peter had verbally denounced Christ. Jesus gave him the opportunity to verbally connect himself. He says a second time, Peter, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? You know I do. You know I love you feed my lamb. A third time he asks him again and he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And he says, you know that I love you. He gives him that third opportunity to make it right. And he says, feed my sheep or your calling still stands. In other words, Jesus appears. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead matters because it means we can never screw up so bad that Jesus can't put us back on the track again. Isn't that amazing? It's like, why why do we celebrate? Has any of us needed that? Has any of us needed that repair plan where Jesus comes in and he says, do you love me? Good, I have a plan for your life. He doesn't say, earn your way back in. He doesn't say, okay, Peter, here's the deal. You failed <laughs> big. You were the one that we chose, um, but that didn't pan out. So John's going to take your place because John actually was the one who like, heard my heart and he knows that he's the disciple that I love. And so John's going to be the boss now and you, you know, catch fish feed the guys, help them out on the path. See, some of us feel like that when it comes to Christ. We feel like that prodigal son that comes back and says, I would just be happy to be a servant. But Jesus restores completely. That's the risen Christ. He restores completely. The final one is the the one who's caught in deception. And I love this. I mean, there's obviously the others that were in between, but this is this is Paul. And Paul was the guy who was Saul of Tarsus, became Paul. Paul's the one who wrote most of the New Testament. Paul's the one who was utterly and completely sincere in his faith, and he was sincerely wrong. He lived his whole life passionately serving God learning the law, studying, studying what had been written, studying the prophets. He knew inside. Now, this was his life. He was giving himself. And in fact, he went above and beyond. He actually stood there when Stephen was being uh, stoned to death. He held the coats. He consented to it. He agreed with it. He went and asked special permission to hunt down the Jews who, or the Christians who were in hiding in other places. He actually went out of his way to get a death order to go after believers. Crazy, right? Does God appear to people like that? Yes. And and there is a moment when when we talk about what, what is so good about Easter Sunday. Why does it matter that Jesus rose from the dead? It's for people like this. There are, there are moments that are happening around the world right now where Jesus is revealing himself to people who have been sincerely on another path. Religious people seeking, you know, some form of spirituality, earnestly going after it. And Jesus reveals himself in a similar fashion to how he revealed himself to Paul. It says in Acts 9, 3 to 5, as he journeyed and came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I think that's interesting right there because he was persecuting people who were following Jesus. But Jesus said, no, you're persecuting me. In other words, Jesus identified himself with those who were his because he lives in us. As, as Paul, Saul at the time was persecuting people they were persecuting Christ in him. He, they, he was persecuting those who knew God, who knew Jesus. And so Jesus says to him, like, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Verse six. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Okay. I don't even know who's talking to me right now, but there is a presence here speaking. Um, What do you want me to do? This is how Jesus reveals himself. Sometimes we are following wrong paths, but we are earnestly, sincerely seeking God. But Jesus shows up and says, no, it's me. The one you're looking for is me. And it's an interesting story because Paul actually, or Saul at the time, goes into, he's blinded by the light. He goes into fasting. He's taken into town, and he's supposed to just wait. And so there's this other guy who's a follower of Jesus. His name is Ananias. And the Lord appears to him and says, I got a plan for you. You need to go to this place, this particular house. And there's a man called Saul there, and I want you to tell him about me. And Ananias is like, you want what? Do you you know who he is? And I love the answer because, you know, like cocky on our part to think, you know me, but you don't know anybody else, right? But verse 15 of Acts 9, the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. He's a chosen vessel of mine. He is yelling out murderous threats. He's traveling around arresting believers. And Jesus looks at him and he sees who he's meant to be, not who he is right now. Jesus speaks out the destiny of this man and he says, He's a chosen vessel of mine. This is what it means to have the risen Lord personally. He calls Saul by name. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He calls him by name. He sends help in the form of another believer and he says, he's my chosen vessel. I actually want you to minister to him. What does it mean that Jesus is the risen Lord? It means that even when I'm completely in the opposite direction and I'm confused, Jesus knows my name. Jesus has a plan for my life. Jesus has people he can send on assignment to reach me. But ultimately, I'm going to meet him. All of us today have been invited into this place of knowing him. And we might find ourselves in one of these broken spots. We might find ourselves sitting at that dinner table in doubt. There's been fear. There's been upset. And I I don't even know what to do. And Jesus is there. We might be the one who's sitting like at the tomb. We're just in distress. There's been so much loss and so much stuff. And I'm, Jesus, I just, I just need to know where to go from here. He shows up there. The ones who were disillusioned, the ones who were disappointed, the ones who thought God was going to do something one way and he didn't. And, and it's, it's just been disappointing. The ones who are disgusted at themselves and their own life choices. He's there. The ones who are wrong. And then we find out what the truth is. And the truth makes us free. I want to challenge us this Easter Sunday to personally, either you might be one of the people who's, you got one of these blockages. And it's like, I can't see Jesus right in front of me even. Because I've got this going on or this going on or this going on. Let him sit at the table with you. Spend some time in conversation. Let him take away whatever blinder there is so that you can see him because his presence in your day-to-day life literally changes everything. And it might be that you're doing really, really well today. And this is just a moment of gratitude where we pause and we go back and we sit at the table with him. And as you sit at your Easter table this weekend, you sit there and you don't just say thank you for rising from the dead back there. But thank you for being with me in my distress this year. Thank you for being with me in my disappointment this year. Thank you for being with me when I made a mistake and I I was so disgusted with myself. Thank you for loving me through that. Thank you that when I had no strength to do anything but cry out, Jesus, you called me by name. And your love poured out on me. John 20, 29, Jesus said to him, he said, Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Most of us haven't seen Jesus visually, but you can see him all around you. You can see him in every circumstance of life. I'm going to have the worship team come this morning. And I just want to pray a blessing over you today that you would experience the risen Lord in a fresh way personally. That it's not this, this Easter weekend, this resurrection weekend. It's not just, wow, it was, a, it was a good church service or not a good church service or whatever. I spent time sitting at the table. And I sat with the one who loved me. I sat with the one who died for me. I sat with the one who said, it is finished. And I poured it out. I was real with him. And I let him put things right. Right. And I celebrated his goodness in my life. And I celebrated the fact that he didn't think I was too far gone. I celebrated the fact that he met me even though I disappointed him and myself. I experienced the love even though I had been so fearful and so so in doubt about so many things. I experienced his love. And I felt his presence. I chose His presence, even though things haven't turned out the way I thought they would, even though he didn't, God didn't do stuff the way I would have preferred, I experienced his presence. And by faith, I chose to reach out, to touch, to speak, to see the one who gave it all for me. And this resurrection weekend, I didn't just celebrate the one who rose back there then, but the one who lives here now. This resurrection weekend, I celebrate Christ in me, the hope of glory. Let's stand together this morning. If you're needing to meet Jesus for the first time today, we would love to help you do that. There's um, some cards in the seat in front of you if you're in the balcony there at the end of the rows that say, I have decided. And if you would just quickly fill that in or you can fill it in later and just bring it down. But over here on this side by the cross, Pastor George is gonna be over there and um, some of our team if we need them. And we would love to just pray you through that. We've got a gift to help you with that decision. Anybody else who just needs prayer, you want to, you want to reach out and touch him in some area today. The prayer team will be across the front here. We would love to pray with you, but I want to pray a blessing over all of us today in this resurrection Sunday. God, we thank you. We thank you for showing up. We thank you for the proof of life that you offer us. We thank you for the documented history and the kind of people that you showed up to and for. As we read through the Gospels, we can see that you showed up. You took the time in person to restore and to refresh, to recommission, to put things right. You showed up in person to make sure that we had no excuses to not see you or to experience you. And we're so grateful for that. And I thank you for each person here today and those watching online. And God, I thank you that you are that same personal God for each one of us. I thank you, Lord, that the proof of life is what's happening on the inside of us. I thank you, Lord, that your word invites us that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that you died, that you rose again, that you are the Christ. You come in and you dwell with us. That where we've sinned and fallen short, God, you forgive us. You cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You give us a new beginning. I thank you that today, no matter whether it's a high point or it's a low point or it's just been a long series of tough stuff, you have been there. And I thank you this morning that this isn't just a congregation. This isn't a group of people. You know each one by name. And you speak to that disappointment. You speak to that discouragement. You speak to that distress. And you speak life. And you speak wholeness. You speak your perfect love. And God, I pray that today would be a day that we experience you like never before. Grace us to reach out and touch you. Grace us, Lord, to sit at that table and be real with you, to fellowship with you, to experience you. And Lord, I thank you from that place. Everything does change. We're so grateful today for the risen Lord in us. And we say thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at Victory Church GP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.victorygp.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.